in the beginning, God. This is his story, and it's about him. In my mind's eye, I could see people praying in this space and seeking God and worshiping God. A lot of people's lives being touched because of what happens in this space. Martin Luther King got up in front of the Lincoln Memorial, and he didn't say, I have a plan. He said, I have a dream. And we have this dream as a church that maybe, maybe God's got some grace to give. Maybe God's got some hope to hand out. Maybe he's got some transformation to be transferred. And maybe we could be a part of reconciliation and peace and life change in one specific place. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. extravaganza is because we love to serve our community. Okay kids, this month we're talking about prayer and there's lots of people in the Bible who can teach us how and why we pray. 18 years to the very day that I prayed a circle around Capitol Hill, God gave us a contract on the southeast corner of that prayer circle called the Blue Castle. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a story that has the potential to change every story of every person who has lived since. So far, so God. The best is yet to come. Hello. Here we are again. Are we having fun yet? That's what I'm asking. So I'm in seat 21A yesterday afternoon, flying in from Denver, trying to be inconspicuous as much as a person my size and age can be, and I'm there, and I've got the headphones on, and then they bring the drinks, and I order tomato juice. Just want you to know that I'm trying to be healthy, and I just engaged the young man next to me and uh, said, you're leaving home or going home, one of my favorite, and we started talking, and I'm about... A minute or two minutes into the conversation, and the young woman sitting on the aisle leans over, looks across at me, and this is just to illustrate your reach. She looks across at me and says, are you Dick Foth? <laughs> and I'm outed right there. And, I've said, and, and she's a teacher from Colorado Springs, but she and her husband were newly married here back when there were 40 or 50 people at NCC. And she just started talking to this young guy between us about this tremendous congregation, NCC, you know. Anyway, it's a wonderful thing. But she's a teacher, a high school teacher in Colorado Springs, and that's what I want to talk to you about this weekend. In the last six weeks, two big things have happened. One, school started, and all the students said, yeah, we know. (laughs) And the other one, six weeks ago, was the Rio Olympics ended. School started. I want to talk to you about the best teacher ever. The best teacher ever. Parents are the first teachers. They're the ones from zero to four or three or whatever it is. And we're the ones who start saying no, no, no. Or, and they say why and you say because. And, you know, so it's this, on, it's this ongoing thing. So that's in preschool. Then you do the formal handoff to the teacher in the classroom And the Latin phrase for the teacher in the classroom is in loco parentis. 
And some of you say, yeah, I know those parents are crazy. I know that. I mean, no, no. In loco parentis means in place of the parent. If you're in education, if you're a teacher, administrator, preschool teacher, grad school teacher, if you're in the technical or trade schools, if you're administrator or a custodian, you mow the lawns, you're a coach, if you're anything connected to education this weekend, within the sound of my voice at the other locations and, you know, Georgetown and so forth, I'm just going to step out on a limb here because this thing, this 20th thing is all about trusting, so I'm trusting right here. If you're connected with education currently in any way like that, I'd like you to stand where you are. Would you just stand? You're a teacher or you're an administrator, you're a custodian, whatever you are, a coach. Just stand up. Stay standing. Stay standing. There's a very real sense in whichever role you play in education that you shape you shape our land. You shape the world. And you're Jesus followers. You're people who have believed the greatest teacher that ever walked the planet. I look at the schools today and the situations we find ourselves in, and as I drive by schools, I say, Lord, help the people who teach there. Help the people who coach. The coaches are the, are the tribal chieftains of our age, if you will. They're a substitute dad oftentimes, or a mom, or a, but, but anyway, I'd just like to take a moment, and we've already thanked you with a little hand clap, but what I'd like to do is to pray God's blessing on you in this year. Father, thank you for these friends. Thank you for these who have, who have walked into a place of teaching and learning and shaping of lives. I pray your blessing upon them, your anointing upon them, insights, all of, the, all of the stuff that happens at home that they try to deal with in the classroom, all of the things that happen outside the school that they try to work through on the playground. I pray that you'll give them wisdom beyond their years and beyond their degrees, that you're, you might be present in their lives every day of the week where they are in the marketplace. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. We can thank him again. If you want to thank him again, you can do that. So the other thing that happened was that the Rio Olympics ended. I mean, it was raw energy. It was ultimate focus and skill. It was dramas and thrills and spills. And I mean, can you believe that Katie Ledecky girl, young woman? I mean, euphoria. I mean, she won all those gold medals and heartbreak. There's this fellow named Adam Jamili. He was from Great Britain who crossed the finish line for the 200-meter sprint in exactly the same time as the French guy beside him. I mean, exactly. Well, not exactly. He came in second by three one-thousandths of a second. And he sat down, and he looked disheartened. Well, I guess he's sitting there saying to himself, Dude, four years for this? To miss it by three one-thousandths. Now, see, a few years ago, it had been a tie, but not now. We're too good now. And I'm watching that. And you know what my favorite part of the Olympic was? It was watching the teachers. Say, the teachers? Who are they? Well, the parents in the stands, the coaches on the sidelines. 
I mean, I watched gymnast Ali Reisman's folks. Some of you, you you're getting this. You, you saw them. she's up on those parallel bars, and, she's go, and they're doing this. And I'm on my couch going, and I, I don't even know him. I don't know her. Just the, I mean, all of the early hours, all of the late nights, all of the dollars, all of the sacrifice, and it's hanging on that bar over there. Or the coaches. What does Michael Phelps coach Bob Bowman say to him to encourage him along? 28 gold medals. What does he say? Your game face scares me? I mean, what... what Someone taught and someone learned. That's what life is. Learning is who we are. Learning is what we're built for. And study after study shows this, that the greatest predictor of learning is the relationship or the connection between the teacher and the student. You can read any one of 100 studies, and that's what it, it's not the only predictor, but it's a huge predictor of whether someone learns or not. So the key question that I want to ask you this weekend is, who's teaching us? Who's your teacher? Do you remember your best teacher? Like you look back and you say, that was like the coolest teacher. The first teacher I remember was Miss Smith. She was from New Zealand. I was in this British boarding school. My parents were missionaries in South India. And she was the one. They had little chapel services in this boarding school. And... Um, at the end of one of those chapel services, she said, if you want to know more about Jesus, at the end of this chapel service, go to the principal's office. Well, the principal's office is a huge hurdle to the kingdom of God, I'm just telling you. But I went to the, and that was sort of the first step of me as a seven-year-old giving as much as I understood of me to as much as I understood of Jesus. That was the start for me. And of course, then there was Francis Veach, 28, blonde, willowy, my fourth grade teacher. I was in love. I was eight, you know. And then there was Miss Wirt, my English teacher at Fremont High in, in Oakland, California. And she, she said, you need to learn language in a precise way, precision of language. And then Mr. Reynolds, my drama teacher, who though I was a stutterer, gave me the lead in the term play my senior year. It was The Crucible by Arthur Miller, which is about the witch hunts in Salem. And John Proctor, the lead guy, you know, I, I did a good job because I didn't stutter when I was on stage because I could wave my hands and do mechanical things and I could shout and, and I didn't stutter. And, and I knew the words that were coming next. And then in this play, I got hung at the end. That's how that worked. <laughs> And then there was Dr. Fred Grieve, who is a psych teacher at the college where I went, and he, he was just, uh, he was winsome. He was authentic. And then there was Forrest Beiser, who was the, he was just the sort of emotional center of the campus. He was so inspirational. People just wanted to hang out with him. But when I got to grad school in Wheaton, Illinois in 1963, I was um, just a few months married. And there was this teacher, Dr. Lois Labar. She stood about that tall. Tall. She was the Simone Biles. Simone Biles from the Olympics. She was that to Christian education. She was dynamite in a small package. And when I wrote a Sunday school curriculum back when we called it that, I, I did it for college students. And she came and sat in my class every Sunday morning for 13 weeks in a row. And we talked about it in between. She was the one who impacted me in how I learn, how I speak, how I teach, 
and how I think about things. I was 22 and one year married. She was single and 57, and she challenged the socks off me. You see, I knew Jesus as Savior and Redeemer and Lord when I got to grad school. She introduced me to Jesus, the teacher. He is the best teacher ever. Read with me, if you will, or read along as I read John 3, the first eight chapters, first eight verses. And uh, you, many of you know this text. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, because a little dangerous to come to this best teacher ever. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, not any old teacher, a teacher come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Very interesting response. He's not saying, well, you flatter me, all shucks. No, he, he, he takes him to a place immediately and starts teaching. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We'll come back to this text in the next few minutes. Just a few thoughts about this. Number one, Jesus is most often called teacher in the Gospels. That's the title. Out of 90 appellations or titles, he's called teacher 60 times. He lived in a religious culture, a theocratic, what we call a theocratic culture, much like Iran is today, run by religious leaders. Israel in Jesus' day was that way. And who your teacher was was a big deal. In this, in this area of the country, you know, like where we come from, you've heard me say this before, where I come from in Colorado now, the big question is, have you hiked a 14er yet? Or where I was brought up in California is, how's the surf? That's the big question, you know. But here, it's what school did you graduate from? Well, in Israel, back in Jesus' day, it was, who's your rabbi? Who's, who's your teacher? Because they, he would be a peripatetic teacher. That's one who walked around and people followed him, sort of like groupies, and they just want to get in a shadow and listen to every word. And so... Nicodemus's words were freighted with meaning when he said, you don't just talk, this is fourth paraphrase, you do stuff. The signs you do are things that show you're from God. So what makes a great teacher? You can go to any document, you can Google this, you can go read books in the library. And uh, great teachers do this, and I'm just going to go through a list real quick. First of all, they set high expectations for all their students. Jesus says, be, be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect, mature, complete. They have clear objectives. How about this one? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will follow. They're prepared and organized. When he fed 5,000, you know, he said, have them sit down in groups of 150 and so forth. They engage students to look at issues in various ways. How about this question? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his soul. Let's look at that issue. They form strong, caring relationships with their students. He says, look, here's the deal. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. They're masters of their subject matter. Scripture says all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made. And they communicate frequently. He says, everything the Father tells me, I tell you. So that's what a, that's what a great teacher looks like. Think about Jesus 
Second point, the thing about Jesus, he, he informs our minds to transform our hearts. He informs our minds to transform our hearts. So he makes a statement that Nicodemus, who's a learned man, he's, like, he's got like a PhD and a THD and all kinds of Ds, and he, and he, and he just, he, he makes a statement that he can't get. But when a heart is transformed, when you have an aha moment, when you have a revelation, if you will, of who this God is and what he's about, it, cha- it changes you. It transforms you. I think I've shared this before, but one of my favorite stories is back during the Welsh re- what they call the Welsh revivals, the turn of the last century. The Holy Spirit swept through whole communities, so much so that there was no need for the police. And the police were then just about crowd control at the churches. I'm serious. This is, you can read this in the history books. They even Some of them formed gospel quartets to go sing in, in churches, you know, the cops. And... Uh, what was amazing, though, is that that was a mining culture. Welsh miners are famous to this day. And they'd take mules up in the hills, and they'd go, and they'd load up the ore carts, and the mules would come back out. And these were tough, two-fisted, hard-drinking, cussing guys. And what happened was that when the Holy Spirit changed their lives, when they were transformed, it changed their language. And, and they didn't cuss anymore, like they, and they couldn't get the mules to go. It had a huge economic impact <laughs> on what was going on. But one idea, one idea from the master teacher can change everything. One idea. I, uh, I was a young pastor about Mark's age back then. When, he, when, when they started, he was 26. I was probably 26 or 27, and I was, I was working with a little congregation near the University of Illinois, and there were 40 or 50 people, and I was telling them what to do and trying to get them to do it, and my heart was right, but they weren't doing like what I was telling them, and one day I was whining to God, and I said, why, why aren't, because I'm preaching from the Scripture, and I'm, and he, and he just said, Foth, why don't you stop telling them what to do? Why don't you tell them who I am, and let me tell them what to do? That changed my whole life. That changed my whole mission. It changed them, because they didn't feel put upon. They felt introduced. One idea from the master teacher Transformed, transformed by the best teacher ever. Number three, he connects the known to the unknown. Jesus says, let's talk about birth. Everybody's born. Let's go there. Or let's talk about wind. You know how the wind, you, can't, you don't know the scientific dynamics, but you can tell where the wind is because stuff moves. You know, he, he connects the known to the unknown. Some years ago, I was speaking at a, at a conference in Ireland, south of Dublin in a place called Dunleary. And it's, on the, on, it's a harbor town. And I got up early in the morning. It's back when I used to run quite a bit. And I, uh, and I ran down to the quay, to the harbor. And I was keeping as my uh, point of reference the spire on the Church of Ireland up on the hill. So I ran down to the wharf. And I was coming back up. And somehow in all the houses, I lost the spire. I, I, I didn't know. And I ran up on the high street. And it was early on a Sunday morning, like 7 o'clock. And there were two Irish girls, dark-haired Irish girls, sitting over on the curb by the bus stop having a smoke. And I ran over to them. I said, ladies, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sort of lost. I'm just running through town here. And, I, and I, just, um, I just need to know where the Church of Ireland is. And they looked at me and looked at each other and said, I, ah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know where that, where that is. I said, I said well, it's, it's right across the street from Goggins Pub. 
They said, oh, love, that's two blocks down on the left. <laughs> Great teachers connect the known to the unknown. You got you to go where the people are to figure that stuff out. Transformed by the best teacher ever. Number four, he captures us, this best teacher, by his presence, by his experiences, and his words. One of my favorite quotes from Pastor Mark is that Jesus spent three years hiking, camping, fishing with us. He was with them all the time in all of these environments. He's with his followers. He's there. One of the things that in talking with people and saying, who was, who was your best teacher? They'll say, um, you know, I had this teacher that said I could call her anytime. I, ha I had this coach who said if I ever had a need, just call and he'd come. It's the presence of the master teacher that makes the difference. We're transformed. We're transformed by the best teacher ever and how he teaches us. What fascinates me about the life of Jesus is this. You know, if you were a Jewish boy back in Jesus' day, <clears throat> it was the boys who went to Torah school or to Hebrew school. And oftentimes, depending on their acuity and their ability, by the time they were in their mid-teens, they would have memorized all of that. The Torah, the law, the prophets. I mean, huge amounts of material. They, and they didn't have, like, Bibles they could take home or, you know, they... They, they'd have to go to temple or synagogue to, to see this, you know. And, and so day after day, they would remember. It was just unbelievable. And I love biographies, by the way. I just, I, I learned so much by reading biographies because you get culture and you get the moment and you get their thoughts and you get their familial structure and you get language and you get economic and all this stuff by reading biographies. And... Um, I just, I just brought my backpack along, not because I was going to go for a run or do something dramatic, but I just wanted to, you know, I got a lot of biographies in my library, and many of them look like this. I mean, this is John Meacham's Thomas Jefferson, The Art of Power. You know, there, there are hundreds of books about Jefferson in the Library of Congress. I mean, just loads. And, and then this is The Last Lion by William Manchester, just one volume of, of Winston Churchill. This is just from 1874, 1932. It's, just, it's huge, you know, big guy. And lots of, and then you, this is just another one, John Adams by David McCullough. They did a PBS special. Some of you saw that. On the, I mean, and there are hundreds of these biographies, hundreds of biographies about the same person. And what fascinates me about Jesus is that all there is about the greatest teacher that ever lived is this. That's it. That's it. The great news about this, point number five, is you can read the life and teachings of Jesus out loud in eight hours. You say, have you done that? It's an, no, but I looked it up. That's what it said. Eight, eight, hours. eight hours. Audiobook. If you get an audio recording of the reading of the Gospels, it's eight hours. It's like Matthew's like two and a half hours and Mark's about an hour and a half and so forth and so forth. And I'm thinking to myself, if I could read the whole life of the greatest teacher that ever lived in eight hours, why in the world wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? You say, do you mean I could learn everything Jesus teaches in eight hours? No, no, I didn't say that. I said you could read <laughs> his whole life and teachings in eight hours. 
It'll like take you three years on one sentence. I'm just saying. The point is, where do you start if you want to learn from the greatest teacher? Well, start somewhere. Like, start with, start with one sentence. Let's, let's just take a, a Jesus lesson. There's this, there are these chapters in Matthew 5 through 7 that theologians, scholars have called the Sermon on the Mount. They probably shared these thoughts several different places, several, many different times over his three-year public ministry. But let's just take one idea, just one idea. Here it is. This is Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. you say, I know that. I, what do they call that? That's that golden rule thing. Yes, it is. In everything you do, do to others. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But the catchphrase here is, for this sums up the law and the prophets. That one sentence. Some, now, there's only one other place that, that is said, or a couple of other places, and it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on this idea. Well, when you think about it, that idea, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, this sums up the law and the prophets. Why don't we think about that this week? I just got a few more minutes here, but why don't we, th- let's, let's look at that verse, let's put that verse up, and let's just say it together. Why don't you, th- this is a classroom now, so just say, say this with me. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. One more time. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the one more time, I think you got it. I feel like Henry Iggins. Okay, so in everything you do, what would happen if that became the lens for how we saw life? What would happen if that became a lens through which we dealt with people? You know, I, I have to work on that because sometimes I get a little tense about things. I know you probably don't get tense because you're here in Washington and there's nothing to get to. You're always tense. No, no, I'm just... <laughs> I just made that up. It's not even in my notes. Life is transformed by the best teacher ever. Number six, you say Jesus isn't here anymore says the Holy Spirit is given to keep on teaching us. Listen to this verse, John 14, 25 through 26. All this I've spoken while still with you. This, this is spoken the night before he goes to the cross. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you because they, they haven't been getting this on their iPhones with all that stuff he's been saying. They haven't been jotting this down on a little pad they carry with them. They didn't do that. And so he says the Holy Spirit has given you to trigger the things you have heard to come to your remembrance. A little earlier he had said, and I will ask the Father, John 14, 16, and he will give you another advocate somebody to speak on your behalf, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. There are two words for another in the New Testament. One means another of a different kind, and the other word is another of the same kind. And what he's saying here is, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you my spirit, 
which is another of the same kind. So even if I'm not here physically, I can teach you by my Spirit. What would happen this week if we said, Holy Spirit, show me what it means to treat others like I wish to be treated? What if you just said that to yourself? Show me that. I mean, if all the law and the prophets hang on that one idea, what does that do? Well, that opens the door to conversation. That opens the door to some touching thing that later on somebody else meets them and treats them the same way and somebody else meets them and treats the same way. And all of a sudden they start seeing a pattern. They say, where is this coming from? And they start following that trail. I don't know how that works. We don't know what precisely happened with Nicodemus or how he was transformed but we think he was transformed. Nicodemus comes by night to talk to the teacher sent from God. We do know where he was three years later, and I think it's a clear indication that he was a believer. And John, the gospel writer in, in chapter 19, writes this after Jesus' death. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a, or Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39 of chapter 19 of John. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, because they would wrap a sheet around the body and pack the body against it with all these elements. Nicodemus isn't the night guy anymore. Nicodemus is the light guy. Nicodemus walks out. That's what transformation does. It takes me out of darkness into light. It takes me out of death into life. And the greatest teacher ever teased that up in our lives, and he teased it up by his spirit. I love it when the spirit connects with teachers. I love that because that's what happens with Nicodemus. He's a teacher of the Jews, and the, and the best teacher ever touches his life, and he can never be the same. And we have the story 2,000 years down the road. I've shared this story before, but I love this story, and it's the one where um, I was speaking at a conference in Idaho, and the pastor, uh, a pastor was there speaking. They had several speakers in the afternoon. The guy before me said, I have a science background, and so at dinner that night, I happened to be sitting by him. I said, so what kind of science? And he said, math. I said, really? So you, you like have a math background, and you're a, like a pastor. He said, how did, I said, how'd you get into that? He said, I I went to Eastern Washington State University, and I, uh, I discovered math when I was a sophomore. And from, I took every math class they had. And I loved it so much that I went to graduate school for math. I said, really? I said, he said, yeah. I said, Where, where'd you go? He said, Yale. I said, so, so you have a master's degree from Yale in math, and you're a pastor? He said, no, I have a PhD from Yale in math. <laughs> And I'm a, I said, like, what kind of math? Because there are a lot of subsets. And he said, algebraic geometry. Now, I don't know, some of you are math people, you do, but that's an esoteric. It's, you have to have a brain, like, to know what that is. And I said, how in the world did that happen? He said, well, my wife and I were at Yale. We were the atheists. We got married. We came, and I'm teaching at this university. I'm a really good professor, but I'm a terrible husband. And we, start, we started having fights, knockdown, dragout fights. And one Saturday night, my wife said, that's it. Tomorrow I'm going to get up, take the kids, and go to church. We never went to church. Maybe she went as a little kid. But... 
And so she just picked a church out of the phone book and got up and took the kids. She had small kids. And of course, if you have small kids, you're late. And so she's going across town. And as she's coming across town, she had this brilliant thought that here's a little church. If I stop here, I'll be on time. And so she swung into this little church. And it was a very enthusiastic church. A lot of this and a lot of this. And she was in. It was small. And, and so she was there. And at the end of the time, she was leaving. The pastor came shook her hand and said, nice to have you here. Because when you have a small church, you know when people are guests. And he said, uh, where do you live? And she didn't want to give him the address. As he just said on the other east side of town. About 10 days later, they're having a terrible fight. And there's a knock on the door. They go to the door. Here stands his pastor. He said, I just in the area thought I'd swing by. She said, I have no idea how he found us. And they shoot him off the porch, essentially. And two weeks later, they're having a terrible fight. Same guy. A couple weeks later, having a big fight. Seven times in four months, that same thing happened. And the last time, it was midnight. She had the car packed, ready to go. She was done. And they went to the door, and this pastor said, I was just in prayer. And I felt like the Spirit nudged me and said, why don't you go by the house? Maybe they could use a little help. Seven times he showed up, seven times he never got off the porch. They shoot him away. The next morning, the heat had gone out of the fight. You know how that goes. The heat, and they'd, they'd regained their sanity, and they're standing in the kitchen, and they were just laughing. And the, and the PhD in algebraic geometry said, That guy's nuts. That guy, that's, he's, just, he's just nuts. He said, I, You know, like every time in the last four months we've had a fight, he, he showed up. He said, I wonder. Like, I wonder what the mathematical odds are that. <laughs> and he said, and in that instant, I knew there was a God. And that started his journey with Jesus, transformed his life. The best teacher ever transformed his life by the power of the Spirit. So I, ha- I, I just close with these questions. When good things happen to you, what is Jesus teaching you? When hard things happen to you, by your estimation, what is, he, what is he teaching you? When mind-boggling things happen, things that you, tragedies, things you can't get your brain around, what is he trying to say? What in that mess, because you walk away with something from the mess, what is it perhaps he's trying to teach you? In the last 10 weeks, I've gone through a thing in a relationship with a friend that has been the most wrenching, excruciating thing that I've experienced in maybe 20 years. Nobody's fault. It's just one of those things that, you know, miscommunication, misunderstanding. And in, in the middle of it, I was awake like every night. You know, if you've ever wake, wakened up and that's all you can think, it's a terrible place to be. And I, 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 I awaken in the night. And it, finally, I got so frustrated, I, I'm saying, okay, what are, you, what are you trying to say to me, God? Because I just wanted to be mad at this guy over here, you know. But the fact is that in whatever the situation is, that if we will be supple, if we will say, what is it you're trying to teach me? I think we will find answers to things, at least direction. The greatest predictor of transformational learning is the quality of interaction between the teacher and the student. He's the best teacher ever.
And when you learn something from him, it's an aha moment. It's revelatory. So my question in closing tonight is, so, how's that going? Let's pray. Father, here we are again. Thank you that you gave us your son Jesus to reveal yourself and that you sent your Holy Spirit to magnify Jesus in our lives. In the midst of all of our scurrying and all of our learnings and all of our websites and all of our TED Talks, help us not to just zoom past eight hours worth of reading that informs my mind and can transform my heart. Help us, Lord, to have a lens this week that says treat others the way you want to be treated and the Holy Spirit will show up. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. amen.